Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Broaden Your Perspective podcast, where Johnny Sue, your host, sits down and talks with the individuals I meet along my path as an undergraduate student. Currently, I'm a third year student studying in the science and business program specializing in biochemistry. Waterloo's co-op program gives me the opportunity to do five internships. Join me as I talk with fellow students, professors, entrepreneurs, doctors, athletes, and much more about their journey and experiences. Hopefully, you can learn something from this episode and truly broaden your perspective on life, family, work, whatever it may be. Without further ado, here we go. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Broaden Your Perspective podcast. Today, I'm joined by my good friend, Noah. So, Noah, thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to sit down and chat with me on today's episode of the podcast. Hey, Johnny. Uh, looking forward to it. Uh, excited to chat about um, some of my experiences and, and hopefully give some insight to the listeners. Sweet. Um, so to kind of you know, start things off, I know this is kind of a typical interview question, but I think it would be great for the audience to get a quick sense of who you are, um, what you've been up to. So just you know, tell me a little bit about yourself, the school, what you're studying at, what are you studying, experiences, stuff like that. Yeah, for sure. So um, yeah, just a background on myself. I'm, I'm currently a third year student studying accounting and finance um, at the University of Waterloo. And, and that's how Johnny and I met um, at university. And uh, essentially, I've, I've gotten a lot of different work experiences in a couple of different areas. So um, in my first uh, in my first co-op term, I worked in audit at KPMG. And the whole reason I kind of came to the program was for that reason. I, that, that was my goal was to get a job in audit, working at a big four accounting firm. And, and I achieved that in my first co-op. Um, worked that uh, role, found it wasn't really for me. Um, and, and because of that, I chose to move off of that and try something out uh, different in my second co-op. And in my second co-op, I actually just completed uh, the term, my, my term at Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, uh, where I was working in uh, private equity, their, their private capital group. Um, and uh, that was a great experience for me, got some exposure to finance uh, and, and kind of leading me into uh, where my interest lay now is uh, I'm pursuing a career in consulting. Um, and, and through that, like I've gotten a lot of exposure and, and tried a lot of different things in university, uh, whether that be clubs, activities. So um, coming into university, I, I wasn't one to be very involved. Um, in school and high school. And uh, when I came to university, I, a lot of people were like, you know, you have to get involved, um, try things out. And and that was probably like the best advice I got coming in was like really trying to get involved and, and figure out what uh, truly resonated with me the most. So I joined a bunch of different things, you know, the typical stuff like our student association, um, uh, a couple of other clubs like that. Um, and then I got involved in um, Anactus, and that I worked with Johnny um, on on that uh, club, and that kind of gave me some exposure to the entrepreneurship community in in the Waterloo region, essentially, and and that really sparked my interest in technology and and entrepreneurship, and that led me to wanting to be eager to explore the other side of entrepreneurship, which is the finance side, which aligns with my background, um, and venture capital. So I I joined the the Waterloo Student Venture Fund. Um, where now I'm starting as an associate this term. 
uh, and I've done two terms on that. Uh, a couple of other things I've been exposed to is I am also a uh, director on ACE Consulting Group, uh, which is a pro bono consulting group that it is offered at the University of Waterloo. Uh, we mostly provide uh, strategy and consulting services for um, startups in the KW, Kitchener, Waterloo and GTA regions. Uh, and we've done some work for venture capital firms and, and other types of work as well. All right, so it sounds like you've been involved in a lot of different um, experiences ever since starting in university. But, you know, for a lot of the uh, students, the younger students out there that are listening right now, you know, what are some possible career path options out there for finance? Because, you know, for myself, when I first heard of finance in high school, immediately my mind jumped straight into accounting. But, you know, from what you talked about earlier, there's so many Uh, more career options out there. So can you just share with us a little bit about some of those career paths and the options available? Yeah, for sure. I think that that like it was similar experience for me coming out of high school, like I knew my program was accounting and finance, but I I was pretty, my understanding was pretty limited to accounting as well. And like when I thought of uh, someone in finance, like what I thought it was like a financial advisor at like a, like a branch of a bank. And and that's totally uh, an, an option. Um, but this, that's very much not it. There's so many different options, um, so much uh, to explore in, in finance and in all the other business fields as well. So like I mentioned to you, I, uh, I, I was working in private equity. So finance is, is kind of broken up into two parts. And there's kind of like the buy side of finance and the sell side of finance. So um, private equity falls into the buy side of finance. So in the buy side, the most of the roles are like private equity type roles, venture capital, growth equity, um, like a hedge fund, something along those lines. And then investment banking and uh, sales and trading, uh, some of the more known finance roles fall into that sell side. And the typical path in terms of like career path is you usually need some sort of exposure to the sell side before you can work in the buy side. So um, in my case, I did work in the buy side without ever working on the sell side, but that was just um, due to the fact that I it was a co-op experience and uh, OTVP, um, the company I work for, tends to give those opportunities without necessarily having that exposure. But OTVP doesn't actually typically hire anyone in their private equity group as a full-time employee unless they have uh, sell side experience. Um, very, very rare. All of the all of the my coworkers. Uh, worked in typically investment banking uh, before. Uh, so so there's tons of experiences and there's kind of like uh, almost a path, if you will. Um, and and a lot of people just kind of see a one one single option. And, and that option is usually investment banking um, more so than anything, right? Because it's kind of the talked about finance job. It's the one that's in the movies, um, the, the one that you know about. Um, but the, the opportunities really are endless. And I think trying uh, the, the reason that like the co-op program has been so valuable for me is like I've been able to, you know, not just get exposure myself, but like talk to my friends who've had like exposure in so many different areas of finance or um, different rules and, and hear from them and truly help find my interest a little bit and guide myself down a, down a path. Right, right. So you mentioned uh, buy side and sell side. Um, so I was wondering if you can just kind of, you know, differentiate between those two and kind of how a lot of, you know, keywords that you're mentioning, like private equity, venture capital, uh, growth equity, you know, mergers and acquisitions, investment banking, how do all those 
uh, get differentiated between like, buy side and sell side? Yeah, for sure. So um, within so so I mentioned earlier that in the buy side, there's like the the main groups are like uh, private equity, hedge funds, asset management, um, venture capital, and growth equity. So with venture capital, growth equity, and private equity. Um, they're kind of very similar, just different stages. So venture capital is essentially classified as um, buying like large stakes in very early stage companies. So these companies are usually pre-revenue. They haven't really started making money yet. Um, They are high growth typically. um, And and they at an early stage. So the way venture capital works is like they're kind of broken up into seed like stages um, and and buy their funding round. So that'd be like the first funding round for a startup would be like the seed round, then series A, series B, so on and so forth. Um, And then growth equity kind of comes around in those later stages. That's usually typically series D plus. Um, And growth equity are usually coming in to invest in these companies that are still essentially startups, but much closer to their exit timeline. Um, So the difference between that is like with the growth equity, you're taking on much less risk, um, but also much less reward because um, when you invest, you're investing a company at a valuation that's given, right? So um, in seed, for example, um, you could be investing in a company that's raising $1 million and, and their valuation is $10 million, for example. So that's a typical seed round. You usually raise about 10% of your valuation. Um, and, and you'd be raising at a $10 million valuation. So if I'm a venture capitalist and I put in money, uh, at that stage, uh, then the valuation by the time they exit, let's say is a hundred million, then I technically 10 times my money. Um, so there's like a lot more value, but there's also so much risk because they're so early. They're mainly just an idea and the rate of failure in these companies is very, very high. Whereas growth equity, you're getting in series D, series E, whatever it may be. And the company is already at a, you know, a $70 million valuation or an $80 million valuation. And then let's say they exit at a hundred million. You're still making a, a good amount of money as an investor, but it's it's not as great, but it's also less risk because they've already made it this far. They already probably have customers. They're doing well. And then private equity is kind of like the, the exit plan almost. So, um, so some a, a lot of like uh, investments that are made by venture capital firms or growth equity firms end up getting bought by a private equity firm. Um, it's been the trend in tech in tech has been more strategic acquisitions. So big companies like Apple or Google or Microsoft are tending to buy startups to kind of fit the gaps that they need. So um, if they need help in cloud computing, they'll acquire a cloud computing startup or whatever it may be, or to strengthen their already um, valuable. Uh, areas, they could be doing that too. But private equity is usually buying out a company as a whole. So um, in venture capital or growth equity, you're usually not going to be the the only company. Um, you're going to be alongside other angel investors, other venture capital firms and stuff. But when, when you're private equity, you're usually buying the entirety of a business and really just taking it over. Um, so in private equity, you could buy an entire company yourself. Um, like one firm could own 100% of that. So like Ontario Teachers has like a diverse um, portfolio in terms of that, where they have some investments where they are the majority owner, where they own, you know, 95, 100%, or even like 70, 80%. 
But then there is also times where they go in and they buy a company with other uh, private equity company, private equity firms. So maybe they'll buy them with four companies and five, four firms, and, and they'll each have the 25% stake or somewhere in and around that. Um, and, and they essentially actually fully take over the company and they run the company. And the, the reason that like a private equity investor would do that is like they're buying pretty mature companies that they can, that they see they can create value in. So they would look at the company and say, okay, we think that they have like a really, really niche um, target market, like their, their customers are super loyal, whatever it is, but like they're spending so much on costs. We analyze their business. They, they don't need to spend that much on costs. So alone in cost cutting, we can create all this value for them. Um, so a big thing in, in private equity is value creation and how do you create value that like the company can have, but they're, they're not tapping into that at this point. And, and you're making your own, um, returns essentially. Um, so it's just like a full circle process where you're just like putting in the money and you're really trying to like help them out. Um, and in venture capital and growth equity, if you're a lead investor, you're also doing that. Um, you're helping them, but you don't own the company. That That's really the difference. Um, you own a portion of the company, um, but in, in private equity, you like always are going to have like board seats. Um, you're always going to be able to call the big shots. Um, so that's like a big difference. Um, right. And that's that's really the buy side. Um, if you want okay. to talk a little more on the sell side as well. Um, yeah. Um, before we get to the sell side, I just want to make sure that, you know, I'm summarizing kind of the, the main points here um, with like private equity. So the biggest difference between those three categories we we're just talking about is that in private equity, I find, you know, company A that I believe is, you know, inefficient at doing, you know, X, Y, Z in terms of their operations and whatnot. I will go and buy out that company and then essentially, upgrade it to my standards or bring it up to the level that I think the company could be at and then sell it later at a higher valuation then make my money that way versus essentially okay and then venture capital is just I see you know a startup who has massive growth potential they need a bit of money right now to carry out their day-to-day operations or for growth or whatnot I'm going to give them you know x amount of dollars for whatever the terms would be and then hopefully in the future, when they, you know, get more mature and they're valued much higher, then I get my returns that way. But I don't actually take over and own the company. Right. Exactly. And, and uh, another thing is like, it's not just in private equity, it's not just inefficiencies. You are also looking like when, when companies got mature, they're still on a growth trajectory. Like they're growing at rates, you know, maybe 10%, 5% per year, which is still great. Um, versus like in venture capital, you're looking like, especially at an early stage, you're looking at like 200% per year growth, right? Um, because, you know, right. companies need to be doubling in size every year because even double of what they are this year is still very small. Um, and, and and the expectations are much higher and it's easier to grow when you're smaller, like on a on a numeric basis. So, so yeah. And, and in terms of exit, there is like different exit w- strategies. So, you know, being bought out at a different valuation. So bought by like a big company, bought by a private equity firm, or the other option is going public. So listing your company on the stock market, and then um, you'll be able to sell yours. So essentially when you're putting money in and investing money, you're getting equity, you're getting stocks um, in a private company. Uh, and then if they choose to go public, you can now trade those on the stock market. And, and that's how you would liquidate your investment and, and realize it. Right. Okay, so those those are all kind of the main components of the buy side. Now, with the sell side, do you want to kind of explain that a bit more as well? 
Yeah, right. So the main side, main portion of the sell side that like most people know about is like investment banking. So with investment banking, uh, I personally don't have a lot of exposure to it. Uh, I haven't worked in it. I do have some friends who've worked in it, but um, essentially the way it is, is, is that an investment bank banker would be uh, brought on by a company to help them with their financial operations. So that could be any number of things. So whether that be they're looking to raise debt, um, they're looking to raise equity. So that could mean that they're looking to go public and they want to IPO, which stands for initial public offering. Um, so if they're looking to go public, an investment banker would underwrite that deal. Um, they would help build a book for them essentially um, by going to investors, finding out if there's interest in that stock, um, if they go public, finding out how much that stock should uh, be priced at when it does go public and, and things of that nature. And then same thing, like companies uh, sometimes issue more equity as they've matured. Um, so not necessarily right away when they're uh, like when they go public, then maybe a couple of years later, they realize, you know, we need we need some more cash injection. We need some more money in the business and we're willing to give up some ownership stake to do so. Um, so they would they would issue more and then an investment banker would help with that. Um, but there's a lot more that uh, investment banker bankers would do in terms of like supporting um, and, and helping uh, companies find their financial needs. So investment bankers do really help uh, maintain the economy in, in that sense um, by supporting the companies with whatever financial support they mean, may need. Okay. So then early before you talked about, build a book. What is, what does that mean? Like build a book that investment bankers go and help companies build a book. Yeah. Building a book is essentially like building a, a like a list of investors like that would buy your stock. Cause you don't want to, you know, you don't just sit there one day and be like, Oh, I want to raise money. Let's just, you know, um, put like a million stocks on the stock on the New York stock exchange at uh, $50 a, a piece. Right. You have to go out, talk to investors, ensure that there's interest. Right. Because, you know, someone like you and me, we can buy stock in them, but, you know, we, we have a limited income and we can maybe buy a couple stocks and we could buy like five, 10, whatever it may be. Um, but they need to make sure that there's uh, interest from institutional investors um, who are like maybe like hedge funds or um, pension funds or whoever it may be. And they're looking to buy like, you know, thousands of stocks. So they're trying to make sure that when they go public, like, there is interest in it at the price that they're going to issue it at um, because they don't want like to go public and the day it goes public, like the stock to crash, you know, like 50% because there wasn't actually interest right. in it. Um, so, so that's kind of what the, what the investment banker role is to do partially. There's, there's a lot more than that, but. Okay. And then what about, what about some of the categories that fall underneath investment banking? I know we were talking about this earlier, but you know, areas like mergers and acquisitions, um, you know, the metals and mining and whatnot, like how do those fall under the branch of investment banking? Yeah. So there's, um, there's like groups that fall under, um, investment banking and that would be like, uh, th there's groups in terms of sectors. So typically like one group would like just focus on like one sector, right? So that could be metals and mining that could be TMT, which is like, technology, media, telecommunication. So they, whenever a metal, like a mining company needs help uh, doing any of those things that I mentioned earlier, they know that like, you know, they can go to this bank and 
they are like kind of the experts in that industry and they know who to go to. They know, you know, valuations are different for um, different types of companies. So that's that's kind of like the sector groups. But then, like you mentioned, there's other things like mergers and acquisitions group. And then there's also groups like um, that focus on equity and there's groups that focus on debt. So that's like equity capital markets, debt capital markets. So equity capital markets would focus on mainly the things that I mentioned before, like IPOs, um, SEOs, which is secondary equity offerings. Um, and, and they would work in conjunction with the other t- like groups. So if a metal or mining company wanted to IPO, they would work with the equity capital markets team and the metals and mining team in conjunction to like do that. Um, and the same thing, like when they were looking to raise debt, um, they would probably look to work with the debt capital markets team um, or like the corporate banking team. And then, yeah, in, in the M&A team, they would be focused on mergers and acquisitions. So if a company is, say, um, your Apple um, and you wanted to, you felt like you needed to be more advanced in the machine learning area for whatever reason, right? You may come to an investment bank and to their mergers and acquisitions group and say, we want to acquire um, through M&A, um, some sort of machine learning company. And, and then they would help them, you know, analyze a couple of their options, figure out how much that, that company is worth, um, and make sure that they're not underpaying, make sure they're not overpaying. And then the same thing, um, if you're on the other side and you want to get bought, um, you're looking to get acquired, you may also go to a bank and they would um, try to find a, an acquirer for you. Okay. Okay. And then you also mentioned like raising debt. How does that, can you just elaborate and explain on that a little bit more by what that means? Yeah. Right. So, so the, the difference is like, um, so when companies raise equity or debt, it's because they need some form of cash injection to continue their operations. Maybe they want to take on a project, um, or whatever it may be. So with debt, the difference is that like, you're not giving up an ownership stake in your company when you're giving up debt, um, unless it is like convertible debt. And, and there is there is ways that you could be, um, but typically you're not. But the difference is that you will have to pay interest on that. So um, if you're, you know, giving, raising like $10 million in debt um, and you may have to pay like a 8% interest rate, um, it's going to cost you some money in the long term, but you didn't really give up ownership stake. So as a, as a manager, okay. like as a CFO or whatever it may be, you have to weigh your options as like, what would I rather give up in the business right now? Um, like some sort of ownership stake or would I rather, you know, um, lose some money in the long term on interest? So there's there's different reasonings as to why you would do either. Um, both have their benefits, both have their drawbacks. But yeah, that's kind of a decision that the CEO and, and the board would really need to make. Right. Okay. That makes a lot of sense now. And then, so you recently, like very recently, just completed your second co-op term at, you know, Ontario Teachers Pension Plan. So um, do you want to just talk us through, you know, what the role was and how was your experience? Yeah, for sure. So I, uh, I did. Yeah, I just finished last week um, my, my term at Ontario Teachers. And essentially, I was in our private capital group and I focused on portfolio management. Um, so that that sort of thing is it kind of goes to into two subgroups so what my team focused on was um looking at the kind of the um backward looking um 
the backward looking view of the portfolio and saying, okay, um, you know, looking at the financials and, and analyzing those to try to find some key insights. And then the other half of the team was the forward looking side of things where it was, how do we help create value? So I mentioned that earlier that private equity firms typically have a focus on uh, value creation. Um, so that's kind of where my team would come into play was kind of being an internal consultant in, in a sense to our portfolio companies to say, uh, we think that we could cut costs. And then we would come in and, and say, okay, where, where could we cut costs? How do we implement this plan? Um, you know, if it's, if it's in like marketing, uh, we can't probably cut that all at once, or maybe it's, we need to spend more on marketing or retailer our marketing. And, and that's kind of where our team would come in there and, and help with that side of things to make sure that, uh, growth is being achieved and that our targets are being hit from when we invested, you know, if we invested and we said where our goal is to achieve a 13% internal rate of return or 20% internal rate of return, how do we achieve that? Um, so we would work with the companies to help them achieve that. Um, and, and OTVP, uh, recently launched a new project, um, a couple of months ago before, before I started is very interesting. It's called Koru. Um, and essentially it was a, it was partnership with BCG digital ventures. And what it was is essentially working with our portfolio companies to, um, create value through, uh, innovation. So for example, one of our portfolio companies called Amica Senior Living, uh, it's a retirement home uh, across Canada. And we worked with, they worked with Koru um, to develop an application where it would, um, if, for example, if you had someone in an old age home that was suffering from dementia or Alzheimer's, um, you could record yourself, your voice and uh, video of you saying some keywords, right? Um, how was your day? Uh, my day was good, whatever it may be. And the system would use um, some form of technology in order to manipulate that and carry a conversation with the person with dementia. Uh, so oftentimes one of the biggest struggles for someone with dementia is they get very anxious um, and they get very stressed out. And typically talking to one of their loved ones or someone, a voice that they recognize or seeing a face that they recognize um, can calm them down significantly. So that's kind of the purpose of this was you could put them on an iPad and, and they would think um, because they were hearing and seeing a picture of their family member at any time, they could really be talking to their family member essentially. And now it helped calm them down. Um, and now it's like just one of the value creation initiatives for that company. And there's been many more and, and the, and the team continually continuously is looking to create more of those type of a startup within a large parent company um, type of initiative. So, so that's pretty interesting and something that uh, was, was cool to uh, see on the other side of uh, what, what my team was doing with that. Right. And then, so, you know, you mentioned that, uh, you know, OTP has this like massive portfolio of different companies and, you know, you just highlighted one company there that focuses on, you know, dementia and Alzheimer's, which is totally different from what you study in school. So, what's your experience been like in terms of exposure to different industries or things that you aren't familiar with? Like, do you find yourself interacting with different companies that operate in different, you know, industries day to day? How does that work for you? Yeah, for sure. I think that's something in business or, and, and in finance um, and, and, and really all aspects of business 
is like you're going to get exposure to all different types of industry, right? Uh, industries. So if you're a science student, you're probably going to get exposure to only science. You know, you're not going to get exposure as much to like consumer type businesses or, um, you know, mining type businesses or something like that. Right. Uh, but with business uh, w working in that type of role, I think I've been able to learn quickly. And that's like the biggest, uh, the most important thing is being able to adapt and learn quickly and like learn about new industries uh, as they come. So, so it's been a great experience and I've, I've gotten exposure to so many things that I didn't know um, anything about before, like uh, didn't have exposure to. And that's been like amazing because I've been able to really find my interest that, in things that I maybe didn't think I was interested in before. Uh, and that might've just been because I didn't have exposure to it. So I think that's the greatest uh, takeaway for me was like being able to learn new things uh, in, in these different industries. And learning about these different industries is always like very beneficial because you don't ever know where where life's gonna take you down a road. You know, it, it's always beneficial to know about these things. A job offer may come across in a, uh, you know, twenty years down the road in an industry, and having some exposure to it, uh, working on some project, uh, could align very well to that role, and and it could, you know, help you out a lot. So always just trying to learn as much as I can about as many different things as possible. Um, just to set myself up for success down the road. Right. So you mentioned there like adapt uh, adaptability as well as, you know, being able to learn and, and switch your mind onto different industries fast. But, you know, for someone or like a student who also wants to get an internship or a role like what you had at OTPP, what sort of advice would you be able to give them? Yeah, for sure. I think the advice is uh, the first thing, first and foremost is, is talking to people. Um, and that's called networking, right? It's that's that's kind of what the the word used for it is in industry and when you're in business is like, oh, you have to network. Is and it's true, you do have to network, but also just talking to people, trying to have candid conversations with people, and genuinely trying to get to know them and get to know their role. Because not until you truly talk to someone um, and and get to know them will you really understand, you know, where where your interest lies. Uh, for me, it, it should come naturally. And I've noticed that, you know, recently more so um, talking to people from tons of different roles and, and like things that I'm like, oh, maybe I'm interested in this. And usually when you're having a conversation with someone, you'll be able to notice like, am I excited to talk about this? Am I excited to like talk to this person about this topic? And like after the call or after the conversation, obviously right now, given the situation, it's not really in person, but, um, you know, after that conversation with them, uh, are you still excited and are you thinking about it after that conversation? Are you going to like look up more about it because you're interested or are you just like, man, I don't know if that like, you know, struck a chord with me. It didn't really like resonate with me well. Um, and, and that's kind of like where you kind of have to follow your your instinct on that type of thing in terms of like what truly resonates with you and you'll end up in the right place if you do that. Um, but working hard to like, you know, get, get that exposure and learning about those people. So talk to as many people as possible. And I'd say, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to people. So that's something like anytime that I'm like, Oh, maybe I'm interested in this role. First place I go is LinkedIn, you know, look up people that are in that role. Um, just search up that role on LinkedIn and, and then, you know, look at a couple of their profiles. And if that's my goal, I'm going to kind of take an exercise that's like, 
okay, what are some of the steps they took? And everyone's path to every job is slightly different in a way. Um, but oftentimes you can find some commonalities, right? So try to find those commonalities, try to replicate them in your own way and create your own path. And, and then you will find yourself in a good position um, to, to achieve that rule. And everything is, is about your story and it should like fall into place. And this is something that, like I was told a lot, you know, when I was in first year and even second year, and I'm starting to really realize now the importance of your story just being genuine. Um, like, I feel like I shouldn't go into a conversation. Like when I, you mentioned earlier, when you asked me, tell me about yourself, you know, it's a typical interview question and it is, but they're really asking you like to tell you their story, right? What's your story. And, and if I have to change that story to fit the mold, like change my honest story to fit the mold of the, the question, just so that like, I'm, you know, interest, they're interested in me for the job, chances are you're probably, your story hasn't led you there and it's probably not really where you're supposed to be. Um, and you're just making it that so that way you can get the job, which, you know, has to happen sometimes. Everybody needs a job, but like, you know, that if, if you feel like, you know, it comes natural and that your story truly is what led you here and why you truly belong here and there shouldn't be any question about that, then, then that's when you know you've really like, um, you really belong there and and that's how you'll like shine through any interview in any role not just you know getting a job at otpp like i did or at any other company yeah i think like i mean like telling a story can be so like i don't want to say like ambiguous it's probably not the right word but like what would you like what do you mean by by tell a story like is it just like the personal experience that you've been through like why you have a certain interest towards a specific job or right yeah i think that it, it can be it can be brought in that that's kind of the whole reason that when i was told about it when i was uh like in first year or whatever i was like what does that even mean right and it's hard to know until you really experience it and and then you have that experience where you talk to someone and they ask you that question and it just flows out of you like you didn't have to prep it and it just made sense right um and that's when you know like you're telling a genuine story and it's kind of just like what are the key life events that happened to you that led you to the point you're at right now and that that puts you in a position that like okay i really want to do private equity or i really want to do consulting or i want to do accounting or whatever it may be um there should be some things that like you know you tried and you liked and that that little part of what you liked was like resonated with you and you thought you could bring value to this job. Um, and then you tried something and you didn't like it. And that's kind of why you stayed away from it. And you think that that's, there's none of that in this job, um, you know, and little things like that um, and, and trying like as many things as possible to like, until you find what you truly like belong, where you truly belong is, is the only way to do it um, in my opinion, and it's difficult, right? Cause not everyone has the chance to try, you know, four different careers in four different industries, um, and completely polar different polar opposite roles. But if you have the opportunity to try something different, do it, um, see what you truly like and, and hopefully, hopefully it works out for you. Yeah, I definitely agree with what you're talking about there. And I feel like especially for us, because, you know, we've got mandatory co-op terms that we have to complete before you graduate. Like maybe your first co-op or your first two, it, it'll be harder for you to put yourself in the position to get that, you know, job that you really want to get. Because 
you know, when you're, you know, a first year university student or second year university student, you might not even have the the authenticity, like you don't even know yourself that well to be able to tell the story. So, but I feel like it's important, like when you get older and you've got a few of those co-op terms under your belt, like, you know, now you've been able to taste some different uh, things out there in the industry. So you kind of know a little bit more about what you like to do, what you don't like to do, what kind of office cultures you like, what kind of them you don't like and stuff like that. So I feel like a lot of the times, you know, when you get to that stage, because you got to remember, like in a co-op, it's a two-way relationship, right? So you're providing value to the company for sure, but it's also a chance for you to learn more about yourself and grow and put yourself in a position to see like, okay, is this the company that I want to work at or I like to work at? Um, so I feel like, you know, never forget that it's a two-way street and uh, you're just as much of a valuable component um, as the the company actually is. So take advantage of the co-op terms that you have. But uh, you know, I know for myself, when I first got to university, you know, I obviously studied biochemistry. So totally different from, you know, what Noah's studying as well. And I know that Noah was kind of the, the first guy to show me the ropes of networking and, you know, some of the networking etiquettes that uh, actually work. Because although networking can be, you know, totally different for different industries, different people that you're talking to, different interests, I feel like there are still uh, key actionable steps that somebody could take towards securing that first coffee chat. So you talked about earlier, you know, you have a position that you're interested in, you go and look for that position on LinkedIn and you find somebody there. So when I get to that stage, are there any tips you can give for, okay, now how do I format that intro message to them? Um, after I have a coffee chat, how do I maintain a relationship with them? Do I send follow-up emails? How much should I prepare for the coffee chat? You know, etiquettes and little things like that. Do you want to just share a little bit more about that to the audience? Right, yeah. And I, I do want to um, go back on that point of like, you know, in your first or second term, you, you may not have like a story built, but that is your story, right? Like you're looking to learn and that should be your story that right. you're, you know, you want to learn these skills and that's why this role is for you um, because you believe that can fit those those fill those skills that you're looking to learn and that should be your story um there's always a way to make it a story and 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 make it easy for someone to understand but yeah on on the on the point of networking right like like you said um you want to find someone and, and then and then what right like you find someone that you think is interesting then what i think the easiest way is to try to find some sort of commonality with them and um for me like when whenever i get a message and someone's just like oh, like I also go to Waterloo, like right away, that's something that's like, okay, they go to Waterloo, they go to the same school as me. I want to help them out, right? Um, I was in that position once. So finding something like that is great um, in terms of like, hi, I'm introducing yourself to them. Like, hi, my name is Noah. I'm a third year student at Waterloo studying this. I see that we both went to the same school. I see that we both studied the same program, whatever it may be. Um, Right away, bridge, bridge a connection to them. Like make it so that you're relatable, um, you know, oh, we both worked at the same company during co-op um, and now we both, you're working in this role and I'm interested in that role. Um, connect something with them so that like it grabs their attention right away and they feel like, okay, yeah, like this is someone I would want to help out, right? Um, and obviously like the, the, the ideal situation is having like a first encounter with them where, you know, you have some sort of a warm introduction, but that's not always the case. Um, you're not always going to meet someone in person. You're not always going to have a mutual connection, but that's always a value, valuable thing is like, if you know someone that can introduce you, like right off the bat, you know, if they're a good friend, 
Like for example, you and I, right? If you are interested in working at Ontario Teachers Pension Plan, I know a bunch of people there. It's easy for me to send an email off to one of them and say like, this is my good friend, Johnny. Um, you know, he's interested in this. You want to talk to right. him? And because they know me, it's likely they're going to respond and be willing to chat with him. Yeah. Um, so that's the ideal situation. But if not, you know, make your own connections somehow. Um, and then, yeah, like talk to them. And I think you, you mentioned on the on the point of preparing for a coffee uh, or a, a call or a chat with someone. And that's really dependent on um, that's really dependent on the situation and the role. So, um, you know, you have to do your research regardless. So know about the company when you're when you're trying to uh, talk to them. And if you're setting up a 30 minute call with them, you know, have a couple of questions laid out that you truly want it want answered don't just make them like don't just ask the questions you think they want to hear ask, like I, I kind of did that you know when I started networking as well it's just like oh I think they want to hear this from me ask them what you want to know and I think they'll value that a little bit more um, rather than beating around the bush but also like don't just plan out the entire call if you're gonna have a call with someone and don't just create 30 minutes worth of questions and just like grill them like shot after shot in, in terms of questions, have a conversation with them, ask them how their day was, you know, they're a normal person. And this is like their 30 minute break from their job to have a conversation with a person. Um, so, you know, have, have a conversation with them, you know, ask them the questions you want to know about their job. Um, and then, you know, if, if, if you have some questions, you know, you have some mutual, you might end up finding out you have mutual interests, you know, you both play soccer, um, you both play football or basketball or whatever it is. And then you're like, oh, what's your favorite team? Um, you find out you both like the same basketball team. And then you may talk about that. You know, it, have a regular conversation. Ask your questions. Try to keep some sort of a balance in there. Don't um, just put them like on the spot and just grill them for 30 minutes. They want to like this to be their break, um, their like chance to just talk to someone. And they'll like you and appreciate you a lot more for that, too. Um, so, so trying to find that, that good balance, you also don't want to just like lead off with like, Oh, do you like basketball? And then just like try to force <laughs> yeah, try that to in force there. Them, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, ask the questions, hopefully out of the questions, you'll be like, Oh, you mentioned this. I'm interested in that too. Why don't we talk about that? And it, there's no set way after a call, after a coffee, you should have some sort of like a feeling in your gut, like, Oh, like, I really like talking to that person or like, that was a really good conversation, really meaningful. And, and that's kind of like how you kind of can gauge what felt good for you. Uh, it, there's no, there's no, uh, you know, black or white right answer in this sort of thing. And, you know, you could leave a call and think like, wow, we really hit it off. We had a great conversation. And that guy leaves the conversation and like, they're like, what, what was that person talking about for the last 30 minutes? Like, I don't know. <laughs> what they're saying right so it's like you really don't know but you know as long as you're happy with it as long as you got your questions answered and and you had a good valuable conversation with them that's when you know it's good and try to like yeah you can follow up um try to you know make sure they kind of don't forget your name and if you have a, like a, a conversation with someone you don't feel like you really connected with you after the conversation you're no longer interested in the company you don't feel obligated to like always talk to them either um, but you know, if you're interested after that call, you're still interested in working, uh, in that role for that company, you know, follow up, have another conversation. You know, you talked about their, their dog, follow up, ask them how their dog is, you know, whatever it may be. Um, or if you talked about, 
you know, you both like traveling and you, you both like Spain. And then you saw some like article about Spain um, being in the news or something, you send them it, um, whatever it may be, just like spark another short little conversation, get them to remember your name. It doesn't need to be, you know, a formal coffee chat every three months or something like that. But, you know, if something comes up and, and you have them in your back of your mind and you're like, you thought of them and you're like, oh, that's cool. They'd be interested in that. Send it to them and, and spark a conversation like that. Yeah, I think I think a lot of the times like those are all like key points right there that were dropped. But I think a lot of the times it's also you got to realize you're talking to another human being. Right. And it's like people are not solely defined by their jobs and their roles like that might be your dream job. But, you know, for them, if they've been working in that job for, you know, years already now, they've they've got a life outside of their job. Right. And you got to remember at the end of the day, these are human beings. And I think, you know, for us, for our co-op experiences so far, I know, no, you can probably add to this as well. But it's like the, the office culture plays such a huge role in like the dynamics of how a company works. Like people really want to hire you if they like you as an individual and they can, you know, sit next to you for eight hours a day, nine hours a day, five days a week. Like, I think some ridiculous stats show that, you know, once you enter the workforce, you're pretty much spending more like active time with your coworkers than you are with your family, or at least they're like on some level of par there. So, you know, no matter how skilled or talented or smart this one individual is, if you can't stand working next to this, working next to this person and talking to them, most likely you're probably not going to get hired because it's just not going to be a, a good cultural fit. So I think you got to remember at the end of the day, the other person there is, you know, has their own lives, have their own interests. So, you know, try to push beyond that, you know, work uh, relationship. So, yeah, I'll just add to that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It, and that's that's kind of like the purpose of behavioral or fit interviews. You know, you probably yeah. heard of the airport test where it's like, would I be able to be supposed to be catching a flight with this person and the flight gets delayed by 12 hours? Now I got to sit 12 hours with them in an airport. Am I going to lose my mind or are we going to have a good time? Like, um, are we going to have good conversation? Um, you know, can we like hang out and just be be normal with each other? Yeah. Um, that that's something that they want to find in each other. And I think what you mentioned, like on everyone's just a human, another human being, even if they have your dream job, it may not be, you know, as luxurious to them anymore because they're so used to it. Um, like, yeah, like you said, they're just a human. And, and I think a lot of times we get consumed in titles and roles yep. and we're like, Oh my God, yep. that, that guy is like this and this. Um, but behind all that, you know, they go home, they have a family, um, they watch TV, they yep. play video games, they, they, they exercise, like they do something, right? Um, so, so they have more to them than what their role and title is. The Broaden Your Perspective podcast is meant to be a platform for anybody who has a story to share. If you want to come on the podcast for an episode to talk about your journey and experiences, feel free to reach out on Facebook, Instagram, or by email. Thank you for tuning in for another episode. If you enjoyed today's episode, leave a rating or review on whatever platform you're listening through. I would greatly appreciate that. Be sure to follow me on Instagram at Johnny underscore Sue. That's J-O-N-N-Y underscore H-S-U. And to follow the Broaden Your Perspective podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, and Facebook.